0: Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you this week to discuss a current topic that is of interest to us at Mara Poling and I think can be of interest to you, and that is when to stop You're on the hunt for your next acquisition. We're doing that right now. You find a good deal. We've got a good deal. Do you stop or do you keep looking because there's a better deal or maybe even the perfect deal out there? That's what we're going to talk about this week. Thanks for joining me. As always, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, m a r a p o l i n g.com. I know I keep threatening to post the webinar schedule for the balance of the year, and we will get that done. Uh, we've been busy with acquisitions, as you will see in today's episode. So if you are interested in attending, and participating in our upcoming webinar series for the balance of 2022, uh, just check out the learning center at marapoling.com and we will have that information up uh, hopefully in the next week or two. All right, with that, let's go ahead and dive into it. So this applies, this question applies to those of you that are building your own portfolio and to those of you that are passive investors. If you're building your own portfolio, you're maybe on the hunt for what your next acquisition is going to be, and you may find one that looks pretty good. Maybe it checks most of your boxes. Maybe it checks all the boxes. So do you stop or do you keep hunting? Likewise, if you're a passive investor investing with a sponsor, someone like Mara Poling or someone else, you're investing in syndications, and you're on the hunt for your next investment. You find one. It looks pretty good. It does pretty much everything you want it to do. Maybe it does everything you want it to do. Do you make that investment? Do you stop? Or do you keep looking because there's a better investment out there, a perfect investment? That's the question that all of us face periodically throughout our investment careers. We're in the process of doing that right now at Mara polling, we actually are probably in the process of doing this continuously. But right now we've got an acquisition we're working on and it seemed like a timely topic. So that's why we wanted to bring this up. So we're looking for an acquisition. And again, you could be looking for an investment, but similar thought process. How do I know when I have checked all the boxes, when I have found a deal that is good enough to do? Well, we developed something for each of our acquisitions called a strike zone. My apologies for those of you that aren't into sports metaphors, but it works for us. So the strike zone, just like it is in baseball, is a set of parameters that if we can find a deal that fits somewhere inside there, it doesn't have to be dead center. It could be High and inside, it could be low and away, but as long as it's in the strike zone, that's a deal that we can do. If it's not in the strike zone, if it's right on the edge, half in, half out, or it's outside of the strike zone completely, it's a ball, then we pass. There's, there's no reason to spend any time looking at it. We aren't gonna invest in deals. And I would encourage you, if you're going to be making an investment on a passive side, Don't invest in an asset that doesn't meet your criteria. So what's in the strike zone? Well, there's a variety of different items. If you uh, go back and listen to some of our sessions we've had, for example, on how we select the markets we invest in. We have 17 different criteria that boil down to a handful of markets around the country that we're willing to invest in, that we think are good, modest to low risk investments that's one of the items in the strike zone. Are we in one of those markets? Another is simply the size of the deal. And I don't mean 100 units versus 200 units, although that is a parameter. I'm talking about the dollar size of the deal. So if we have $8 million to invest, and we find a great property, but it takes $12 million to purchase it, and fund its improvements over time, and make the deal work, well, unless I've got $4 million laying around somewhere, or coming in shortly, that's not in my strike zone. It doesn't matter how great that deal is, it doesn't fit my parameters. Conversely, if I find a wonderful deal, and it only takes $6 million, but I've got $8 million laying around that I need to get working, that's not going to work either. I've got to have something at 8 million plus or minus some amount that kind of gets to that whole notion of it doesn't have to be dead center in the strike zone. There's some tolerance on each of these items. So maybe for example, on an acquisition if I'm looking to place $8 million, I might say, you know what? We could go as high as nine and we need to get at least 7 million of that placed. All right, well, we've just identified the two boundaries left and right or top and bottom, however you wanna look at it, for the capital investment portion of the strike zone. Another is going to be some of the items that I just alluded to, like the size of the asset. Is it a class B? Is it a class A, a class C? Is it value add? Is it a rehab? Is it a momentum deal? And we'll spell all those out. Generally speaking, we wanna be class B, with the ability to go all the way down to a B that's been operated as a C, and all the way up to an A that's aging out into a B. That's maybe the parameters we would use. So we're still in the B zone, but you can be on the higher end or the lower end of that B zone. Maybe for this particular acquisition, we'd look at it that way. We like value add. We don't want to have to put twenty grand a door into a property. You can make good money in making those size investments. That's just not something we're focusing on. So we'd probably cap the capital investment at about $10,000 a door. But we also don't want to buy an asset where all that work's been done and there's nothing left for us to improve. We want to be able to move the needle on rents. And to do that, we want to be able to make some capital investments that support that activity. We're looking for a certain kind of return, a fairly balanced return, pretty much the same amount of cash as we would equity growth. It always ends up being a little higher on the equity growth side, but a fairly balanced return and an asset that is in a position where we can acquire it sale, exchange it after some period of time, and do that process over and over again. So we have a whole list of criteria that we put together that our acquisition team then uses to run. When they find assets, they not only will put an underwrite together, but they're going to look at them relative to the strike zone. And we have uh, strong interactions internally. When we get an asset, that meets most of the strike zone criteria, but not all of them. Maybe it's a great asset. It's in a really solid market. It's got a good value-add opportunity. There's opportunities to move rents just on classic units. Just going down the list looks like a great asset, but it takes $10 million, and I've only got eight to nine on the high end we will have an interaction with the team and folks will lobby hard for, well, it's only a million dollars. Can't we do just one more, another million? It's like, well, because it's not a million, now it's two million. And now we've added some risk to the profile because we have to go raise that additional capital, which may or may not be something we're prepared to do. If it is something we're prepared to do, then we probably would have identified that from uh, the get-go. The same with the amount of capital investment on a per unit basis. If we found a property that needed $15,000 a unit and a lot of that maybe was going to deferred maintenance, if that's not something we identified from the beginning as an asset, a, a parameter that we're comfortable with, we're gonna have to say no. And the whole reason for developing the strike zone is so we can make these factual database decisions Not decisions based on emotion. We don't want to be in a position where we're deciding on an asset because we like it or don't like it. We want to decide on that asset based on what the data says. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. All right. So we do all of that and we get to an asset that works. The return profile works. It checks all the boxes inside the strike zone. It's a solid asset. The buyer us is ready to go. the seller is a willing seller. the buyer and seller have met, right? So that's that's all ready to go. Is that the deal we do? Is there a better deal out there? a deal where I could spend a little less money or where I could spend the same amount of money and get a little more opportunity. A deal where maybe we could get a slightly better return where that might be, again because we've got some tolerance, Maybe we're in a submarket that's a good, solid submarket, but it's on the boundary of our strike zone. It's not quite as solid. Maybe it's in the uh, you know thirtieth percentile when it comes to schools, as an example. That fits our criteria. It's on the low end. Maybe I could find one that's in the fiftieth percentile. And the answer to that is, of course, you could. There is always going to be a better deal out there. There's always going to be a better investment if you're a passive investor. And if you're in the business of building your own portfolio or the business we're in of building a portfolio for our clients, there's always going to be a better deal out there. The question is, do you want to take the time and energy and the risk of not finding that better deal and giving up the the bird in the hand that meets all your criteria in search of not just the better deal, but maybe trying to find the perfect deal? Well, our answer to that question is pretty simple. The answer is no. If I, again, making this decision based on data, if I have found an asset that fits all the criteria in our strike zone and the seller is willing to sell and I'm ready to say yes and buy, then we, we want to do that deal. We want to say, yes, we want to get an LOI agreed to. We want to move on to a contract and we're done. We're not looking for that need anymore. Now, that doesn't mean we're not looking for other needs, right? We may have another acquisition we're working on, but we're done looking for that one and we have to let it go. We're not, we don't want to be looking in our rearview mirror three months from now going, oh, that other property just came on the market and it would have been an even better fit. Okay, it would have. This is a good fit though. This asset did everything we wanted it to do. It was a quality asset that met our criteria. There's no reason to keep hunting if we've met all of our objectives. And that obviously goes back to setting the objectives correctly, having the right strike zone. If I'm being too liberal with the boundaries of the strike zone, yeah, I really want a 1980s vintage. Uh, If I had to, I would do a 60s. Well, if I don't want to do a 60s, don't put that in the criteria. Draw the line at 1970 or 75 or 1980, wherever it happens to be. And then stick to it. You can always, if down the road, you don't find quality assets in that area and you're finding assets that don't meet the criteria, you could go back and reevaluate the total program and say, okay, could a different kind of asset make sense? We don't really want to do that too often. That's very much like uh, modeling your underwrite to fit the asset as opposed to uh, driven off of data. And we really don't want to fall into those traps. So the key to knowing when to stop is having a clear set of criteria. So if you're a passive investor and you're looking for an investment, you might have criteria around the minimum hold period that's required, uh, the tax impacts of how that particular syndication is managed. Is it set up to do 1031s and push the tax burden out some significant amount of time, or is it gonna roll quickly and you're gonna get a K-1 with a big tax bill in, in three years? What's the return profile look like relative to what it is that you're willing to accept? What's those boundaries that you're willing to accept? What's the investment size that's required? Is there a, obviously there's always going to be a minimum, but is there a maximum or are there some tiers? For example, our total return fund has some tiers uh, built into it between class A and B, and then some incentive uh, tiers above class A. So you put all that criteria together and then you hunt. And when you find an investment that fits all of those criteria, our recommendation is then invest in it. That's that's what you were looking for. You found it, invest in it and relax and know that there will be a better investment that will come along in a few months that you'll look at and go, gosh, I could have made even more money or achieved some additional benefit by investing in that but I'm really happy with what I did because it met my criteria. So find it, get it under contract, make that investment, and then let it go, let it go and move on. That's that's the way you wanna be able to manage this. Now, a couple of times in here, I've talked about the fact that, do you keep looking for a better deal or do you keep looking for that perfect deal? In our experience, perfect deals do not exist. You might be able to find an opportunity, either an investment or an asset, if you're acquiring assets, that is closer to the center of your strike zone. And maybe maybe it's dead center on your strike zone. But the perfect deal, the deal that we all imagine with super low risk and extremely high returns and... Uh, at a high cap rate and all the other fantastic things, it doesn't exist. The market doesn't allow it to exist, right? The market forces are constantly tugging and pulling and pushing on the transaction space to keep it competitive. And as long as it's competitive, that means that buyers will be willing to do X and sellers will be willing to do Y and where those cross is the opportunity to make deals. A perfect deal for a buyer is gonna be where you could get every single thing that you ever wanted at the extreme, and the seller would have to give all that up. And why would a seller do that when there are other buyers that are willing to meet them at that intersection point I just described? So let go of the notion of a perfect deal, develop your strike zone, that's what we do, Get a deal that fits inside it, pull the trigger, and go enjoy that one. You buy a quality asset, you can have a great time doing that work. It's rewarding, both personally and professionally, and it's rewarding economically. And then when it comes time to sale exchange, go through the process again, and simply keep doing that. If you can stay true to this methodology, you significantly reduce the likelihood of having buyer's remorse, and of buying a quote-unquote bad asset. The asset you buy may or may not ultimately do all the things that you underwrote it to do. It's going to be highly more likely to do those things, though, to achieve that success if you stick to your strike zone than if you start getting on the edge and actually getting a little outside of it with, well, I could go a little older than I wanted, or I could buy something with a little more deferred maintenance than I want, or I could pay a little higher price or tie up a little more capital. You start doing those things. And now if that asset performs as well as it can, you still may not be satisfied with its performance. All right. I hope you found this week's session valuable. As I said before, if you have questions, shoot me an email pat at marapolling.com. Swing by the Learning Center at marapolling.com for more great content. And please join me again next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Polling.